Hey, hey, cabin crew. Welcome to the conversation cabin where we uncover the darkest and most terrifying stories of our past. In this episode, we tell the chilling tale of Mercy Brown, a young girl from Rhode Island who died under mysterious circumstances in the late 1800s. Mercy was the last member of her family to succumb to a mysterious illness that had swept through their small village. As the townspeople grew increasingly desperate to find a cure, rumors began to circulate that Mercy was in fact a vampire. We will recount the horrifying details of how Mercy's body was exhumed and examined and how her heart was burned to ashes in an attempt to rid the village of the supposed vampire curse. But the story doesn't end there. Many people believe that Mercy's spirit still haunts the village to this day, seeking revenge on those who wronged her life. We will uncover a dark history of superstition and fear in the lengths to which people will go to protect themselves from the unknown. Let's sink our teeth into burning of the vampire, the haunting case of Mercy Brown. Are you ready? Step inside. Set back in the late 1800s, the village of Exeter, Rhode Island, was a small rural community with a population in those days of around 2,000 residents. The town was primarily agricultural, with many farms and small businesses. The main industries in the area were farming, lumbering, and manufacturing. The town had a few churches, a general store, and a schoolhouse. The houses in the area were mostly small, wooden structures, and many families lived in poverty. However, the town was also known for its close-knit community and strong sense of tradition. The people of Exeter were deeply religious and superstitious, and many believed in the supernatural and the power of curses and spells. As we stroll through the charming community of Exeter, the air is filled with the delightful aroma of fresh farm produce, flowers, hay, and wood chips emanating from the local shops. We carefully make way for the playful children frolicking in the square before venturing down the dirt roads that lead us to a small, quaint stone house with a simple wooden door. Though unassuming in appearance, the home is brimming with warmth, love, and inspiring Bible verses. This is the humble abode of the Brown family. George, Mary, Mary Olive, Mercy, and Edwin. 
In this scene, George is kneeling beside his wife Mary's bed. Mary appears weak, with pale, dry lips and dark circles under her eyes, and she is coughing up blood and phlegm from deep within her chest. George is praying with his hands clasped so tightly that it seems as though all of the blood has drained from his fingers. He pleads. Please, Father God, help my Mary. Place your hand on her and heal her, Lord. But Mary has succumbed to consumption, which in those days referred to tuberculosis. When this disease ravaged the world in the 19th century, it was responsible for more deaths in Europe and North America than any other disease. Patients would suffer experiencing chest pain, fatigue, fever, loss of appetite, and of course coughing up blood and phlegm, as Mary did, and there was no cure. With a gentle grasp, Mary held on to George's clasped hands, conveying her love for him in a silent exchange. She knew her time had come and that she would soon be with her God, but promised to reunite with him in the next life. It was in 1883, on a day when the clouds briefly parted to let a few rays of sun through that Mary peacefully departed from this world. Six months after the death of Mary, one of her children, Mary Olive, fell ill with consumption. This put an even greater strain on the family, both emotionally and financially, as they struggled to care for her and manage the disease. The situation had become the talk of the town, with whispers spreading through homes, churches, and beyond. People were beginning to wonder what was wrong with the Brown family, as they have now experienced the loss of two family members within a mere six months of each other. The weight of this tragedy was felt throughout the community. Since the early 1800s, New England was getting hit by mysterious illnesses that turned healthy people into walking corpses. They had ashy skin, sunken eyes, they were weak, frail, and these symptoms matched exactly what Mary and Mary Olive had experienced before their deaths. In an effort to gather information about the illness that struck the Brown family, local townspeople formed groups to comb the streets and seek out answers. However, what they discovered was far more terrifying than they could have ever imagined. Rumors began to spread that the illness was not a mere disease but rather an affliction of vampirism. This idea took hold and quickly spread throughout New England, causing panic among towns and residents alike. The fear of the undead roaming the streets was enough 
to send chills down the spines of even the bravest individuals. The townspeople were in turmoil as they struggled to come to terms with this horrifying possibility. Hearing about the panic, newspapers jumped to feed into the story. In September 1884, the St. Charles Herald published an article that appeared on the front page regarding vampire attacks and the rituals that were being performed all over the world to stop the claimed attacks. A snippet is as follows. A revival of the old superstition of blood drinking bats and men. The literature of vampirism and its influence on European people. Stories that were told of vampires and their doings in the last century. The panicked individuals of Exeter became obsessed with saving their healthy loved ones. As a result, a terrifying trend emerged in the town, similar to what had been happening in other places. Suspected vampires' bodies were unearthed and scrutinized for evidence that they were indeed undead. At this point, the 19-year-old Mercy Brown falls ill and the doctor attends to her. After checking her vital signs, temperature, and other symptoms, the doctor places a cold washcloth on her forehead. He then packs up his worn leather bag containing his stethoscope, medications, and memories. Finally, he nudges George to step out to the hallway and with a quivering voice reveals to him that consumption indeed was responsible for claiming the lives of his family members and that both he and his son could be at risk in the future. After Mercy had died, Edwin, the last of George's children, suddenly became frail and sick and secretly through the town. A theory was being fed and a plan was being devised. As the sun set on the small town of Exeter and the moon rose high in the sky, a group of brave or perhaps foolish men gathered at the local cemetery. They were determined to put an end to the vampire threat that had been plaguing their community. The men had heard about a belief in Europe of exhuming bodies and burning of the human's heart to rid the vampire curse. The idea was that if someone died and then returned as a vampire, they would have to feed on the living to sustain their undead existence. To end this curse, it was believed that the vampire's heart needed to be removed and burned, often along with other rituals such as decapitation, dismemberment, or filling the mouth with garlic. First, the men visited Mrs. Brown and her daughter Mary Olive's grave. They were both found to be properly decomposed, so their next destination was Mercy Brown's grave, and they believed that she was the source 
of the town's troubles. Two months after she was buried, with shovels in hand, the men began to dig into Mercy's final resting place. It was reported that when Mercy's body was exhumed, she appeared unusually well-preserved for someone who had been buried for two months. Her skin and nails had continued to grow, and there was still blood in her heart and liver, which some people took as a sign that she was a vampire. But that wasn't the worst of it. Her mouth was open, her teeth bared, as if she was ready to feast on the living. The men were convinced that they had uncovered a vampire, and they knew that they had to act quickly. With trembling hands, they removed Mercy's heart and burned it to ashes. They packaged up the ashes and headed for the Browns' home. George was jolted from his drowsy state by a loud knock at the door. He had been trying to catch up on the sleep he had been deprived of for years. Just five minutes. He thought to himself. The knocking continued, getting louder and louder with each thud. He slowly got up from his chair and stretched his back, but the knocking persisted. He muttered as he approached the door. To his surprise, a few of his friends from the outskirts of town stood before him, holding fiery torches and looking as though they had been out hunting for a beast. George, may we come in? They asked. Before he could respond, they barged past him and into his home. We, we brought something for Edwin to help him. May we have some water? What, what's going on here? Please, George, water. George gathered up some water in a glass, placed it on top of the table, where one of the men came over, pulled a small sack cloth with a tie at the top, out of his pocket, opened it carefully, and dumped all of the ashes into the water. The gentleman mixed the water with his finger and handed it to George. Give this to Edwin, he said. What, what, what is this? What am I giving to my son? Don't, don't be upset, but it, it's, it's Mercy's heart. We burned it turned it to ash and we heard people from afar are doing the same thing to save their family from this vampire curse. Vampire curse. Oh, okay, okay, that, that's enough. George went to go sit the glass back on the table when all three of the men gathered closer to George to prevent him from letting go of the glass. 
Edwin is infected with a curse, George, and drinking this could potentially rid him of it. As a parent, wouldn't you do anything to save your last child, your only son? George gazed at the glass of water with ashes floating at the top and felt a sense of withering away, sinking and drowning, just like the ashes. He slowly approached Edwin's motionless body with labored breathing and placed his hand on the back of his head to lift it up slightly. With the glass of water containing ashes, George brought it to Edwin's dry lips and urged him to drink. Edwin started to sip, but then allowed the water to trickle into his mouth as if he had a thirst he had never experienced before. Unfortunately, less than two months later, Edwin died. Mercy's body had gone through normal post-mortem changes that occur in some cases, particularly when the body is buried in a cold environment during the winter months. It's worth noting that the practice of exhuming bodies and inspecting them for signs of vampirism was not uncommon during the 19th century, particularly in rural areas where superstitions and folklore were still prevalent. However, it's important to recognize that these beliefs were not based on scientific evidence and that the exhumation and desecration of bodies was a violation of the deceased person's dignity and rights. Many people believe that Mercy's brown spirit still lingers in the cemetery where she was buried, and her grave has become a popular destination for those interested in the paranormal. Visitors often leave flowers and trinkets at her grave, which has become one of the most well-known haunted sites in Rhode Island. While the story of Mercy Brown is fascinating and has captured the imagination of many, we should approach it with a critical and respectful eye, recognizing the historical and cultural context in which it arose. Despite the tragic outcome of the Mercy Brown incident, it remains a haunting reminder of the power of superstition and fear. It serves as a cautionary tale about the dangers of misinformation and the importance of rational thinking. May we never forget the lessons of this dark chapter in history, and may we continue to seek the truth, even in the face of our deepest fears. Today's quote is taken from Bram Stoker's book, Dracula. There are darknesses in life, and there are lights, and you are one of the lights, the light of all lights. That was Van Helsing to Mina Harker. And that's a wrap for tonight's episode of the Conversation Cabin Podcast. I hope you enjoyed diving into the chilling tale of Mercy Brown and the vampire panic of the 19th century. I am so thrilled 
to announce that cabin crew we've hit a major milestone 2000 downloads we couldn't have done it without the support of our amazing followers supporters and listeners you all make this podcast possible and i'm grateful for your continued encouragement and enthusiasm Real quick, I want to go over just a few quick reminders, a little updates. So the Cabin Crew email subscription service to sign up for monthly newsletters is now live. So when you go to my website at https colon slash slash the conversation cabin period podbean dot com at the top. Click on Cabin Crew Members, and then it'll take you to a page where you fill in your information. And starting this month, you will receive awesome newsletters that will contain a spooky short story of the month, updates on the podcast, episode subject and schedules, live events, contests, and more. So make sure you sign up now. I'm also getting pretty booked up for Screams of Summer. So, again, if you have a scary experience that you would like to share, whether it be on the show, whether it be writing me an email, telling me your scary experience, and then I will read it on the show. It can be about a scary experience, as I said, or a haunted object that you have. Do you live in a haunted house? Are you haunted by a ghost? Do you have an attachment? Um, Do you know of anyone that had like a demonic infestation or a demonic attachment as well? Or just anything in between? Scary, spooky, unexplained, mysterious? Get a hold of me. Again, the email is theconversationcabin at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to follow me on Instagram and TikTok. The conversation cabin, of course. And let's see, anything else? Anything else? Oh, April 11th, the second episode of the live series Mysteries of the Uinta Basin, which is Skinwalker Ranch, Stardust Ranch, Blind Frog Ranch, Skinwalkers in general. Stay tuned April 11th for the live episode, 7 p.m. Central Time, 8 p.m. Eastern. It's going to be a great continuation, and we got all the kinks worked out, so you won't have to come back in like three times. Sorry about that, cabin crew. You know, live, technical difficulties happen, but I think we got everything worked out. And if I forget anything, I will put it in the show notes, but until next time, cabin crew, explore your strength.